Welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast, hosted by Angel Deer. In this podcast, we explore the mysteries of spirituality and consciousness. In each episode, we dive deep into the realms of human experiences, our rapidly changing world, and the unseen realms, tapping into the universal wisdom that connects us all. Whether you're a seasoned spiritual seeker, starting to awaken to the possibilities of a more expansive reality, or want support on your journey, this podcast is for you. Join me as we explore topics such as shamanism, spiritual transformation, holistic healing, the medicine path, energy healing, plant medicine, ancient wisdom, and more. Our guests are respected elders and experts in their fields, and we'll learn from their insights and experiences as we journey together on the path of spiritual growth. If you can, please consider supporting this podcast by joining our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the sanctuary and why. Once again, it is patreon.com slash the sanctuary and why. Now, let's dive into today's episode. But when you're actually living with people and seeing them day by day and building projects together and hosting events together and working in the garden together, there's not a whole lot of room for hiding. And this is this is a real, for anyone that's interested in community, that's the one thing they should really know before coming into it is you're going to have the incredible opportunity to have a lot of mirrors pointed at you for you to look at those things that you don't even know are your issues. You don't even know that they're there. You don't even realize because it's just, it's how you were raised. It's how your mom talked to your dad and now you talk to your partner that way. And it's its like you don't even realize that that's a, a personality trait that you picked up from something that happened long ago or a protection mechanism. You know, it served you at one point, but now it's not serving you anymore. What does it mean to live in community, to be in deep relation, to experience belonging maybe in ways that we have never experienced before? So there are opportunities with that for healing, for transformation, for building a different world, but there are also important challenges. And beyond the idealistic vision of community, what can we do to really step into a different way of living? How does it work? I'm really excited about that conversation today because I think you're going to learn a lot if you go through this uh, recording. And I hope you enjoy and give us feedback. What has been your experience? You know, what are you craving? What are the things you want to do? Here at the sanctuary, we really uh, work with those principles and are still building, are still learning, are still healing. So this conversation is transforming. It's enlightening. It's shifting our perceptions. And I hope it will provide some interesting reflection for your own work and for your own transformation. And I hope to see you in community, on the land, on events. See how we can do that together.
I think a, a lot of people today are, you know, looking to connect differently, to have different experience of living together, to find community or to build their own community. And uh, from what I've heard, it's not always as rosy rosy as <laughs> what we think <laughs> in the first place. It's never easy to live together. Probably you've experienced that with your own family or <laughs> with other people. Uh, but bringing many families together or groups of people together can be sometimes even challenging, especially coming, I think, from the culture we're living in, uh, with a very different way of relating that could be uh, inspiring, maybe, for long-term living. So let me just tell you a little bit about Rebecca and let's jump in. So in 2011, Rebecca co-founded the Emerald Village in North County, San Diego, in California. And during her 10 years with Evo, that community, she supported and led numerous programs and initiatives, including implementation and training of the community in sociocracy. I said that correctly, right? Sociocracy. Sociocracy. Establishment of the Animal Husbandry Program. I have so many questions already. Leadership <laughs> of the Land Circle hosting both internal and external community events and participation in the human relations circle, which holds the relational, spiritual, and emotional container for their work for that community. But very recently, in June of 2021, with the blessing of Evo, Rebecca and her three other co-founders relocated to begin a new mission-driven community and learning center housed on 160 acres of forest and farmland which I've seen some videos and photos and looks so beautiful. So there is a bit more about Rebecca, but I want to jump in. So community living, pretty much everyone um, in contact with is talking about it. Like everybody is like, I want to leave the city. I don't want to live like that. I want to find a place to live a meaningful life. I want to share resources and skills. I don't want to raise my kids alone. I want to co-parent. I want to I don't know, raise animals to grow my food, etc., etc. So Rebecca, I want to jump back in time a little bit about what inspired you to go into this first community in 2011 and how were you living before that just so we understand where you were coming from and what was calling yeah well you know i'll just say first of all it's such a it's such a privilege and an honor to be here so thank you so much for for having me i'm, I'm very grateful to be here and i'm for myself just going to take a deep breath because i'm feeling a little butterflies in my tummy and i hope wherever people are at home they also just take this moment to take a deep breath and feel themselves in this now moment. So yeah, my, my highest wish is that this uh, conversation can be for the benefit of all beings. So wherever you are out in the world, I hope that this, um, this touches you and inspires you. So I'll just start with that. And I'll say, you know, just a lot of people are talking about community and a lot of people aren't like, this is not a normal Okay, maybe I'm hanging out with it's, the wrong people. <laughs> you're hanging out with, no, you're definitely hanging out with the right people. But I just want to acknowledge that, you know, if community is something that is even remotely on your radar, 
um, you, like you're you're definitely doing something right. You're hanging out with the right people. You're noticing that there's aspects of our current reality that are not sustainable and don't serve. And I mean, I think you're on the East Coast, and right now, I, there's a huge smoke issue. You know, there's there's major climatic issues on our planet. Um, our government is fractured at best, completely dysfunctional would probably be a much more accurate way of describing it. People feel isolated. And this is not just a COVID thing. This is a, this is a, a, a deep illness that I think COVID helped to shine a light on, in fact. But there's something wrong. There's something wrong with how people are connecting to each other and to the, to the planet that we live on and we call home. And we live in a very extractive reality. And I imagine that anyone listening to your show, probably this is not a news flash to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just want to highlight the fact that this is not a normal way of seeing the world. And that for a lot of people, it's just business as usual. And we're just, you know, it's never been better. <laughs> Everything's on, it is growing, you know. So we have to acknowledge that for some people, we see something different. And I, I definitely put myself in that camp. And to come back to your question, I would say maybe 15 years ago, I, well, I'll start previous to that. I started going to Burning Man in the, in the early aughts. I moved to San Francisco. I was in art school and I had heard about this crazy party in the desert. And, um, you know, it's, it's changed a lot. In 20 years, uh, I haven't actually been in quite some time now since basically starting community. I got a lot of my itches scratched through community that were being scratched through the Burning Man community. But what happened out there is that I felt a sense of home. I felt a sense of real belonging. I felt a sense that I could let my freak flag fly as much as I wanted to. Uh it was a place that really aligned with values of self-reliance and sustainability. And I mean, you can, you can probably argue some of that at this point, but these were some of the pinnacle ideals at the time and really leaning into a sense of, of building something together and leaving it better than you found it and, and community and really building community and, and lasting friendships and meaningful relationships and that was really the beginning of my, you know, I was in my early 20s and had lived a suburban life in Baltimore. And now I was living in the big city of crazy San Francisco. And now I'm exposed to Burning Man. And so all these things start ticking away. Uh, fast forward a few years. I'm in San Diego. I'm in grad school for art. And feeling kind of uh, disconnected from the reality that I found myself in. I was in a very academic, rigorous art program. And I just felt like I, my true self wasn't being actualized. And, and one fortuitous weekend, I was invited to another festival type event. And I, I met the people who would then become my husband, my community collaborators, my best friends. That was all in this one magical night. And over the course of our friendship and my relationship with my husband and, and other people, 
these conversations of like, okay, yeah, we're partying together. We're having a great time. Like we're building these amazing camps and we're, we were orchestrating these incredible opening ceremonies and I would create these big elaborate sculptures and then we would choreograph dance around them and work with composers to create music. And it was so phenomenal. And at the end of the weekend, we would just take it all down and it would all disappear, never to be seen again. And there was something so magically ephemeral about that. And yet at the same time, it started to feel like, but what if we could leave it? <laughs> what if we didn't have to tear it all down? What if, I, I mean, we had the energy of people in their twenties as well. So there was that <laughs> to like do crazy things that never went anywhere. <laughs> but yeah, as, as time went on, we started to really ask ourselves, what's next? What are we here for? We felt divinely inspired, called to each other, called to do something meaningful, called to be in greater service to our to the larger community, called to be in stewardship of the land. And so we started having these meetings and these conversations and and the larger group kind of trickled into a smaller group and then eventually the there were 10 of us and yeah, that was sort of the beginning of the Emerald Village. So yeah. So was it a moment, I'd love to kind of feel always into this rite of passage or moment of like deep inflection where you're like, okay, we need to quit this because this is not working. Let's buy some land, let's buy some land and let's start this. Because I think sometime, you know, we can stay in that lingering of discomfort like most people stay into, right? and we don't really act upon it so was there a trigger point was there something like okay we're really doing it was it a ceremony was it what was it that you just wake up one morning and it's like okay guys we're we're putting the trigger on that we're doing it yeah well so i'll say the, just one thing what moment of clarity a piece of clarity which is there was never a feeling that we're not doing life anymore we're not do we're, we weren't like in a position where we could just, you know, completely go off the radar and live off the land. Like, first of all, none of us had the, any experience to do that. I mean, I'd, I'd been gardening, you know, but I, I had, wasn't like prepared. None of us really, we were all kind of like kids of the suburbs in the city, you know? Mm -hmm. So we had this deep longing we had a shared spiritual teacher and a shared practice as well of deep communication and connection that I'm sure we'll, we'll touch back on later. Um, but there was never a feeling like, oh, we're this isn't working and we need to pull out of, of reality in order to do this other thing. It was more like life is cool. Like we're all operating from a lot of privilege and we have a lot of blessings, but we want to create something way better than what we could do by ourselves. You know, does it really make sense for each of us to have our own lawnmower or our own swimming pool or our own, you know, blender or whatever the thing is, you know? What if we shared those resources and lived in a way that felt more generative and, and sustainable and that we were actually building together? In terms of a, of a peak moment... I think the other thing to say is that of the of the 10 of us so we used something in the early days called a holo the holographic model was sort of how we um organized ourselves before we had sociocracy we used a, a 
program called the holographic model, which is different from holacracy for anyone that's listening. This is a a separate thing. Um, In the holographic model, you have each person sort of recognizes and accentuates the areas where they are really able to shine and what they can bring. So some people are really good at the relational. Some people really hold the vision. Some people are really good at more of like the administrative kind of financial things. And some people are just the doers who are actually able to ground the vision. And so of the 10 of us, we were really balanced in that. We each had that, that circle was held really strongly. Mm -hmm. And myself, not to be like, I'm a master manifester, but I, I kind of am like, I'm the kind of person that I'm like, oh, I have a vision and now that thing's going to happen. And multiple of us in our group were also that way. We had a lot of that, like, we've got a vision. Okay, go. And so when our powers combined, you know, the 10 of us got together in a room. I mean, it was electric. I get goosebumps just thinking about it right now. It was so electric, that feeling of like, we could do anything. We felt the wind at our back got on our side and we were going to make it happen. And so over the course of, I would say, a year plus, maybe a, a year and a half, two years, building up to actually purchasing the land, we were meeting regularly. We were sharing meals. We were having meetings. We were doing visioning exercises together. We were having like deep, vulnerable conversations about our our stuff and like who we are, where we're coming from. So I wouldn't say it was a, a point mm-hmm. as much as like a, a portal. And building into it. <laughs> that we, yeah, that we walked through together and really kept feeling like, okay, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. And so from the moment that there was a real deep drop in visioning, okay, what is the land going to be like that was that um, my community mate Bianca Hyming facilitated? In three months after that, we had the land. Uh-huh. Like it was so fast. It was so scary fast. <laughs> like, I guess we're doing this. But that was after a year and a half of, okay, you know, who are we? What are we? How are we? What are we going to do? Like, what is this about? Really massaging the vision and our and our connections with each other. So that when when the land showed itself, it was just a yes. There wasn't there wasn't really a whole lot of question at that point. It was like, yeah, we're doing this. We're doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for explaining that process and and what you went through. I'm wondering in that time, so before purchasing the land, right before kind of acting there, and there was this year and a half for processes and reflections and deep connection from what I understand, were you also looking at what's out there? Because there is there are communities that exist or were there any kind of model or frame? You mentioned maybe one uh, when you look at all the people involved, but what, what were kind of the stepping stones that you feel were really necessary and probably were one of the reason of the success of that first community that you built? Well, I mean, I couldn't talk about community at all without mentioning Diana Leaf Christian. Um, for anyone that's interested in community, I highly recommend learning about her and buying her books. Uh, her book, Creating Life Together, was our community Bible and had a lot of exercises in it and a lot of ideas and support for framing those early days. 
So for sure, we followed her. We, I mean, she has since become a friend. I actually just talked to her for a couple hours the other day, just catching up and talking, geeking out on community stuff. Um, but she was truly a mentor just on in, in paper before she even became a mentor in person. We would, we just loved her. We loved what she had to say and we learned about other communities through her. Um, in San Diego, there weren't any other communities that were what we would have wanted for uh-huh. ourselves. And we were wanting to be in San Diego because that's where all of, that's where we all lived. Um, for people who are really looking for community, who are listening to this, I would highly, I mean, there's some steps that I would highly recommend taking, in, including visiting as many communities as you can and seeing how they each do it. And I, I almost always recommend now having started communities <laughs> that if you can find a community that's in alignment with your values and is in a region that you find acceptable, it might not even be your favorite, but you think you could like tolerate it, but you, but the people are there and they're doing the work that you want to do and you're behind the mission and vision and, and the values of that community, you should probably just join that community. Because starting a community is very, it's a big, big uphill and it takes a lot of, um, I mean, beyond the financial resource, you know, we, we sort of patch things together because the, uh, the 10 of us had varying degrees of financial resource. We definitely were not 10 rich people that were ready to do this thing. We were like a couple of people that had a lot of money and then a couple people that had absolutely no money and then a couple people who had a little bit of money. Um, some of us had time, some of us had no time, you know, it was sort of a hodgepodge in terms of what kind of resource we could bring. But beyond that, we had the naivete <laughs> of the twenties. <laughs> my friend, my friend Dave Buddha sent me this thing the other day that said, <clears throat> we do things not because they are easy, but because we thought they would be easy, which is a, a, a play off of a very famous quote. <laughs> and it's true. We thought we didn't, ha- we had no idea how difficult it would be. We had no idea how difficult, I mean, buying the land was a snap. <laughs> mm-hmm. That that was the easy part. Moving in was kind of the easy part. Remodeling was kind of the easy part too. You know, a lot of the things that we did were kind of tough in the moment, but they were actually in hindsight way easier than navigating the interpersonal. Um, yeah, and I want you know, I want I want to come to that, but obviously you just said right, yeah, join a community, right? Don't start it from scratch. It's kind of crazy. It's a lot of work, right? There's going to be a lot of I mean hard learning, I'm guessing, because there's not like a, something in place. And, and yet you're just restarting right right you you just left one and you're going to restart one so i i'll come back to, <laughs> to, to i'll come back to that but so during your time in this um first community what would you say were you know the five things that are really hard and difficult so you talk about the interpersonal but is there all the things and maybe you can elaborate on that kind of understanding you know, I think we are going to talk also about the beauty of it and the great things and all of that and what's easy. But I would like to talk a little bit about what are the pain points, really, that yeah. people probably that are listening 
maybe don't know yet if they've never lived in such communities or join a community. Yeah. Well, let me, I'll sandwich it a little bit. Okay. So it was absolute. There were, there were moments at the Emerald village that were absolute heaven. Like I still to this day, I'm deeply fueled in my soul. Like, I just, I want, I want to cry thinking about it. Deeply, deeply fueled in my soul by moments of just profound connection and purpose. And like, we would sit on the main lawn. So we had this main lawn and we would have these amazing kind of like sometimes impromptu, sometimes planned, beautiful gatherings. And just like you're in the, you're on this big green lawn and the wisteria is blooming and the smell is just wafting over you and the gentle breeze is coming through the trees and the sun's going down. So everything's bathed in golden light. And you're looking to your left and you're looking to your right and seeing the people that you love the most in the world and the people that love you the most in the world. And they love you even though you're you, even though you're a hot mess, <laughs> even though you, you make mistakes and sometimes act like a crazy person or sometimes act like a, a jerk. You know, it's like they see you, they they hold you, they love the, the the beauty and you love the beauty in them. And in these moments, we would just look at each other and, and we would say like, these are the best days of our lives. Like these are the days. <laughs> these are, this is the reason why we did this is it's, it is like heaven, you know, and there are those absolute moments and um so true belonging right really true, true, true belonging and true just like seeing and being seen you know it's so 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 special most people never experience that in their life i mean really really most people on this planet will never experience anything like that and i think that there was a time, there was an ancient time and possibly, hopefully there's also a future time when there's a realignment with the global values and we do have more uh, holding for people and families. And I don't mean family, like a, like a nuclear family. I mean, tribe, I don't want to say, but you can't say tribe anymore. So, but that feeling of like clan or, some, you know, some kind of, this is your, this is your squad. <laughs> these are your people and you've been through thick and thin and you know each other and and the the blood and the water are equally as thick like it's just it's just you're in there that is a very very sacred and special relationship and moment that it's really hard to get to unless you're a member of like a um like a really intense uh immersive spiritual community I think you can a lot of times have that, but even then there's something about like actually living with people on the day to day, not just seeing them at some kind of ecstatic event or ecstatic moment, you know, shared ceremony or, or, or shared ritual, but you're with them like year after year on their bad days, on their good days. Like there's something that gets forged in those fires. That's really profound. Mm -hmm. So I say all that to say, you know, those, those bad moments, those pain points, like you don't get to have those good moments and those peak moments and those moments of true seeing and understanding without the pain points. You know, the moments when, you know, my sisters come to me and 
bravely <laughs> because I can be a terror. <laughs> Apparently. So I've heard. <laughs> Who me? <laughs> but but no, like my like my my like the thing that makes it so that I can get shit done is also like this kind of like ferocity, this fierceness, this like rah, like we're doing it. Rah, and that's awesome for getting things done. It's not as awesome sometimes when I'm like blinders on and I'm not paying attention to like the feelings and the sensitivity of the people around me. Cause I'm just like, we're going, we're doing it. Ooh. So, you know, to have someone come to you and say like, ouch, that really hurt. Like when you do that, it doesn't feel good. That makes me sad. It makes me angry. Or like, Rebecca, you're an asshole or whatever that thing is. And then at the end of that, still love me. It's like, I know that they really, really love me. Because they don't just, they're not a fair weather friend. They're not just seeing that like pretty face that I put on for, you know, social media or, um, you know, when we see each other at a party and like we chit chat a little bit or it, it's deep. It's really deep. We love each other and we're with each other with our shadow as well as with our light, with our gift. And there's something so spectacular about that. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's, the, really, it's the greatest blessing of my life. It really is. I'm really feeling into what you just shared. And, and do you feel that, you know, in some ways there is something that's sometimes uh, is missing for other type of communities, even spiritual communities, in fact, where people just come for, you know, specific maybe gathering or events or ceremonies and but it's still transient, right? There is not like this commitment to that one land, to that one group that we can, well, I got triggered basically our boundaries and this is not for me anymore, right? Yeah. And I guess, you know, there might be moments where you feel that way in, in the community you're describing to, but there is, seems to be, you know, more from the outside, I guess, a commitment, you know what, we are going to still do that together. So does that happen? And also would love to understand kind of what's make it different. Is that the fact you just can't live because you're co-invested together or are the system in place, which I want to talk about, are here to allow this processing of emotions and to allow this processing of hurt and pain that is created with any human interaction potentially, right? Yeah. Well. <clears throat> I don't think that my experience and the experience that we had at the Emerald Village is universal to all communities. So I should just start by saying that mm -hmm. there are as many different types of community and as many different ways of doing it as there are communities out there and to be done, to be born and that have already come and gone. Um, there are communities that are egalitarian and share everything, like share all their resource. And, you know, there are communities that are structured top down with a, you know, I, I like to call it a benevolent dictator, although benevolent dictators don't usually like to be called benevolent dictators, but, <laughs> but they're like, this is my land and you live here and we're in community. And as long as you do what I say, then we will remain in community. So and that works for a lot of people, both the leader and the people that are in that community. They like 
not having the responsibility that they get freed up from by having someone else that's in charge. Um, so there's everything and there's everything in between. And it's not even just about that. It's also there's co-housing. There's different ways of people structuring their togetherness and their relatedness. For me, for for my experience of community and how how we structured it and what was the real benefit I found for our group and what I would hope other people can find through their experience of community is that in order to really succeed, you have to be willing to be wrong. Basically, you have to be you have to be willing to grow. You have to be willing to look at your stuff, the places where whatever your experience and your reality is, actually you're the one that created that. Or at least you had a part in it. And what was your part? And that level of deep personal responsibility for one's own reality and experience is not easy mm-hmm. at all. It's not easy for anyone. And it's certainly not even something that most people are willing to entertain. You know, when when we are when we feel slighted or we feel wronged, it's the other person's fault for doing that thing to us. <laughs> You know, like it just is like, why did you do that to me? Why did you say that to me? That, you know, like you're a jerk because you did this or that. And there's not a whole lot of willingness to see our own culpability and our own fault in that. And even if we are willing to see like a piece of it, are we willing to go underneath of that piece and really excavate? Like, oh, this was really challenging. It had nothing to do with you. It had nothing to do with the thing that you said. It had to do with something that my dad said to me 20 years ago that I still haven't metabolized. Uh You know? And so our our community, the Emerald Village, was very much founded under a a practice of deep personal responsibility and, and, and looking at our own stuff. And so because we had that, there was a lot of kind of any time when there was friction or things that would come up, a lot of times it would turn back into that. Okay. Like what do we need to do to metabolize this and move through this and grow from this? And what is my learning and what is your learning? And are we, we were always really willing to be in the learning. Um, And sometimes it was really painful. I had I had an experience with a a dear sister that I lived with where we hardly talked for like six months. I mean, we lived right next door to each other and it got so bad and so uncomfortable. And this is with all the, it was just like, God, it was just gritty. And I mean, finally we had a circle and everyone else was like, you guys need to figure this out because it's actually affecting everyone around you and it's not acceptable anymore. Like deal with your shit. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I am the last one to ever say that I have this whole thing figured out. I, I certainly am still on a learning path, just like everybody else is. And that was an incredible teaching moment for me. Uh You know, like we think we're all sneaky. We think nobody can see us. We think if we just like, you know, nose to the grindstone, business as usual, no one's going to notice our stuff. And it's just not true. And we can mask it really well in the default world. 
But when you're actually living with people and seeing them day by day and building projects together and hosting events together and working in the garden together, there's not a whole lot of room for hiding. And this is this is a real for anyone that's interested in community, that's the one thing they should really know before coming into it is you're going to have the incredible opportunity to have a lot of mirrors pointed at you for you to look at those things that you don't even know are your issues. You don't even know that they're there. You don't even realize because it's just, it's how you were raised. It's how your mom talked to your dad. And now you talk to your partner that way. And it's it's like, you don't even realize that that's a, a personality trait that you picked up from something that happened long ago or a protection mechanism. You know, it served you at one point, but now it's not serving you anymore. So Zev Pace has written about community and and calls it the longest and most expensive personal growth workshop you'll ever take. And if you're somebody who's really interested in growing and learning and working through things, then it is it is excellent for that. It is really wow. excellent for that. What it's not excellent for, and I would all the other side of the coin is if you are a person who has serious, serious control issues, if you have a lot of unmetabolized trauma that you have not dealt with, um, if you have a tendency to blame other people for your reality, you should probably deal with all that first because you will be spit, chewed up and spit out really quickly in community. If you feel like we said we were going to do this, you know, you guys haven't healed me yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's your fault. I'm not better. <laughs> so, so there's two sides to that. You know, if you, if you've done, if you've done a little bit of work and you're an emotionally and spiritually mature ish person and are willing to be on a growth path, it's amazing. If you mm. are not those things, then you might want to do a little bit of pre-work and make sure that you're coming with something to offer and coming with some um, some of your stuff resolved. Mm. Yeah, thank thank you for mentioning that. I think it's uh, I can see how valid is the point and how important it is. So, can we talk a little bit about the kind of the systems that are in place? Maybe some that you developed or some you were inspired by other people. Uh, you know, you talk about uh, a few things before, like sociocracy, or I don't know, I was reading in your bio, the animal husbandry program and uh, the land circle. So can you talk a little bit about a few, you know, obviously we have a short time here. We are not going to go in depth in it, but kind of some of the interesting way that we develop communication and relating with each other, with land, with the animals and as a group, right? So that helps this functioning uh, and this healing process, right? To happen at the same time. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the interpersonal piece um, of, of relating, there were always new tips and tricks and things that we learned over the course of our time together. We definitely learned and practiced NVC to nonviolent communication mm -hmm. for people who have not heard of that, um, to varying degrees of success. We would have, uh, people come in and facilitate our process meetings when we had something really big, like that event that I was talking about before with myself and, and Bianca, like 
Oh my gosh, it was so bad. And we had our friend who lived in a community that actually um, started after ours. His name's Tom Wall, and he's a marriage and family therapist and a dear friend. And he came and held space for us as we worked through that. So, so having outside help. Um, also, we had our our teacher, our spiritual teacher, Raquel Palmacy. She um, she also was an incredible support for processing. So we had a lot of support. We definitely did not try to do it all ourselves. We read books. We did classes. I mean, we were really, that was a big piece of what we were trying to do and also wanting to teach and share what we learned along the way, which is partially why I have the podcast now. So that was a piece of it. Um, from an early from the early stages, we were very clear that we wanted to document really clearly our process so that we could mm-hmm. share it and create replicable templates for other people that came behind us who were interested in building community. In terms of sociocracy, so sociocracy is a governance model and a decision-making practice. We learned sociocracy from Diana Leaf Christian. Diana still has uh, is do is teaching. She's writing books. She's uh, you know you can take classes with her and learn from her. The way she teaches sociocracy now is very different from how she taught us. We learned from her in the early days, and now she's really refined it, and it's changed a lot. So there's a lot there. So for people who are interested in learning sociocracy. There's both the method that Diana teaches, which is the sociocratic circle method. It's also taught by, um, you can learn it through the Foundation for Intentional Community. They offer courses. I actually interviewed one of their instructors, Ted Rao, about sociocracy. Um, And then there's S3, which is sociocracy 3.0, which is another version of sociocracy that's really can be applicable to communities, but is also really used in in businesses and has more of that kind of agile learning, agile business systems. It, it sort of helps and supports people that are really more used to the tech world, which I think can be really helpful for people who are used to operating in that sphere. Uh-huh. Sociocracy, the, the main idea of sociocracy is that you have or one of the main ideas is that you have these different circles. So there's all these different, everybody has each circle has its own domain and aim. So for our community, we had a land circle and the domain and aims of that circle were basically anything to do with the physical maintenance of the property, the land Mm -hmm. that included the animals that included, you know, supporting people in their gardens and irrigation. We had a, um, but not infrastructure. So we had an, an, a maintenance circle that would do the houses and the buildings and would do the plumbing and the electricity. We had a finance circle that managed all of the financial needs. And we had a uh, human relations circle, which was more nourishing and supporting the, the interpersonal connections. So in sociocracy, you have multiple circles. Each has its own domain and aims. Those circles uh, have autonomy to make the decisions they're going to make. And that was sort of how we structured things. I mean, it's it's a miraculously simple and yet complex system of governance when you get into the ticky-tacky of how you're actually running things and getting things done. But in terms of shared decision-making models and everybody having a voice and 
finding really good ways to create proposals and get work done, I my brain can't even not think sociocratically anymore. Like that's just how my brain operates at this point. Um, there is also consensus. That's another decision-making model that's out there um, that a, a lot of communities like to use. So there's there's a lot of options for that. But for us, it was, um, yeah, we use sociocracy. You're, you're also asking about husbandry and the land circle. So I, th- I don't know if I covered that, but those were, those were circles under. So husbandry was a part of the land circle and I helped to start our husbandry program. We had goats and chickens and meat rabbits and bees. Um, so that's the sub circles, basically people taking care of the animals and in charge yes. of running those programs, right? Right, exactly. And then the land circle, you know, we were building gardens and growing food, putting in flowers and making it beautiful. So one of the, you know, so I'm guessing, you know, we see people have different skills and some people are better at that or better at this. And so there is some kind of repartition of tasks that, but I'm always interested in when it comes to those models and especially to living in community. How do we, or did you, or how do we maintain uh, reciprocity and balance, right? Because I could think that, I don't know, maybe taking care of the land requires a lot of physical work and people might be very tired sometime of the year where some people might do more admin, right? So how do we not create imbalance in energetic reciprocity, right? Because it can be very imbalanced sometime where I'm guessing some people feel like they're doing a lot of physical work or they are really involved with things that are tedious and some other things might feel less tedious and they might require more the brain i don't know more different kind of skills so when i think of community i often think of the some of the community i live with or study with which are native communities and in the jungle in peru and here in 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 america and um is there some inspiration also coming from those communities in the way people used to live? Not that we're trying to live in the past, but we say, wow, that's a really good model. And that's how we kind of keep reciprocity going. How we keep balance within the group. That's a, that's a really great question. And, you know, I think one of the really important things to acknowledge and unpack a little bit, which we can't fully do in this conversation because it's a huge thing that our whole culture is trying to unpack right now. But Mm. we really, in the early days, we didn't realize what we were doing, but now I have more words for it. And, and I think decolonizing our mindset was a huge part of what we were doing. And it was a very, very steep growth edge curve. Uh (laughs) Herculean, really. Um, There were some supports and guides as we were moving through it. and, And that was helpful. But understanding that again as i was mentioning before we have these ways of being and this understanding of the world based on the culture that we grew up in 
And it doesn't occur to us to question some of these things. They just seem like universal truths because that's how we were raised. And that's just, isn't that just how it is? And especially when you look around and sometimes the people that are standing to your left and to your right have the same worldview. So then it's easy to think that this is normal. This is right. This is the right way to be. When in truth, it's not, it's, that's just you. (laughs) It's just you and your friends think that way. And it started, I think, some of the division of labor stuff came up really early around, um, you know, like kind of gendered roles of child care and women's work and soft skills. And then we started to see, wow, you know, emotional labor actually is a thing. And this was, you know, again, this is like 12, 13, 14 years ago. The idea of emotional labor hadn't necessarily entered the mainstream the way that it has now mm-hmm. and the way that it particularly has around conversations of race and privilege and class and privilege. Um, for us, it was just like, wow, there's things that are completely unaccounted for that actually are an incredible amount of work. And there's nothing to show at the end of it. Like, yeah, it's great that you just went and built that pergola. Thank you for doing that. But in order for you to do that, somebody had to be with the kids or make the food or had to tend this person's heart that was really breaking in that moment, you know? And all of those things make the community function. You know, they're all they're all necessary. And I can't say with honesty that I think that we figured it out. I think there are still definitely things. I mean, we had um Several years into our community, one of the big growth edges for us was after George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and some of us really taking on work around race and class and privilege uh, more seriously and us seeing like, wow, you know, we do have, we did have diversity in our community in the sense that we weren't all white um we didn't all share a religion like there was jewish a jewish family and a catholic family and um you know we all were a taoist family like we're all coming at, at things differently but for the most part it was a pretty privileged group of of socal kids <laughs> young folks with families and through the Black Lives Matter and some of the work that that some of us started to do in that, we really started to see like, wow, we are, we're a little out of touch here and have some major, major, extremely uncomfortable work to do around how we relate to each other, how we relate to the people that were living on our land, who were not founders or owners of the property, people who were just residents and who were being asked to contribute in different ways as part of the reciprocity of being on the land, even though they didn't necessarily have equity in the land. Um, you know, and some of that is understanding that with different levels of ownership in something, there comes different rights and different responsibilities. And so for someone who is a, a resident who was living with us, who was not an owner, who had no financial burden or liability to the to the project, they would still be asked to participate in things like community meals and community work time, and they would have a voice at the at 
the meetings to be heard and to share and to ask for things and put forth proposals. But when it came to the, like the brass tacks of the finances of running the thing and the responsibility of that, they were not included in that aspect of it. But they also had the freedom that if they didn't like it or if they, you know, something happened, they could just pull out and leave. They were renting. They didn't have an ownership stake. Mm-hmm. It was very easy for them to maintain freedom and mobility. And so, you know, I think that's one of those things where getting really clear in those founding documents about what the rights and responsibilities of different tiers of membership or ownership or however you want to structure that, what those include, what those do not include, what the pathway to membership looks like, you know, how do people move through, I don't want to say the ranks, but how do people move through the process of, oh, I'm just someone that's interested in community. I'm going to come check this out to, okay, I kind of want to live here for a little bit and see if I like it to, okay, I kind of want to put down roots here. And at each of those stages, what are they getting and what are they being expected to do? Mm-hmm. And so coming back to your to your initial question about reciprocity, you know, understanding what is expected at each of those levels and being really clear about that, understanding that all work is not visible work. There's a lot of invisible work that happens that needs to also be accounted for. And there's also this other piece, which was a really great lesson for me as I was moving through the early years of community, which was if I started looking around and paying attention to what everybody else was doing and how much work I thought they were doing and whether or not they were doing as much work as I was or more work or less work than I was, that was a recipe for a lot of harsh feelings. Mm -hmm. You know, like you don't really. No, you know, you never really know how much somebody else is doing or what they're dealing with. And if you have a question about it, you should just go talk to them. Like, hey, what's going on for you in your life? And how is this, you know, like, I haven't seen you lately at our Blitz days. Like, what's happening? Do you need some support? Not, hey, how come you're not at our Blitz days? You know, you're supposed to be there. Everybody's supposed to be there and you're not there. So now you got to pay 50 bucks. It's instead like, wow, you haven't been at Blitz days for a few months how are things going? Like, is there something I can do to support you? And trusting that everybody that's in community wants to be there. They want to contribute. They're doing the best they can, you know, trying to give that benefit of the doubt. Um, It's hard because our culture, American Western culture really values product and productivity, you know, and, and that is the antithesis of natural people, how natural people operate in the world. You know, when you talk about indigenous people that you spent time in their communities and working with, you know, those people are not focused on like creating widgets, (laughs) you know, they're, they're attuning to something, a more natural rhythm, usually, generally speaking, more seasonal rhythm, a time of ebb and flow, you know, interconnectedness with the seasons of life. You know, there tends to be a lot more support for elders. Elders are caring for children. Children are expected to participate as they can. Like new mothers are getting different levels of It's not like, well, old person, what have you created today? And have you earned the right to be here? Like you would never hear that. So... Yeah, and I've, you know, I've said it before, and 
I said it again, I think a, a, a tremendous amount of addiction and also depression and anxiety uh, mm -hmm. that is a real epidemic. There's the numbers are pretty clear on that. And we're expanding society is that we've made the human beings a product that is connected to a transaction and a money, a value, right? So everything we do needs to be quantified. And to quantify that, it's quantified with a green paper, right? With a dollar. <laughs> And there are many things like you mentioned, right? Oh, I don't know the women that spend all day at home taking care of the kids. We cannot really quantify as, okay, I just made this because it's, it's, it's an emotional gift. It's an emotional relations. The value to society, I believe is tremendous, uh, you know, and, and uh, the value that we need to recognize, but we cannot always quantify it in the same way. And we, we've lost the way to quantify that or to recognize the value of that where yeah traditional societies know the value of the mothers of the elders of the river and of each other right so it's just like everything has a different way but it's not quantified uh, the way we quantify things maybe by time or i'm on spend on that or what are we getting back from it right so extraction or returns and so that's yeah, I would guess that's one of the difficulty to have reciprocity when it's not embedded into our society. I don't like to say culture because I don't really think we have a culture because we need a lot more for being a culture like rite of passage and ceremonies and things that we don't have, right? But in our society, we don't have that. And so we don't really know how to quantify that. And I think... Uh, and that's kind of transition also into my next question is let me me before you move on yes, you, please, I think it's really important yeah. you know it's it's really insidious this desire for value and this mm -hmm. desire for worth mm -hmm. it's my own shadow like i i name and claim it you know i operate even with thousands of hours <laughs> of 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 introspection meditation yoga medicine journeys, like all the things. And I'm still like, is, did I do it right? Is it enough? Is it enough? Can I, am, am I, have I proved my worth? You know, it's not, and I don't think it's just me. I don't think this is the Rebecca thing. I think this is, this is, it's sneaky how, how it seep, seeps its tendrils into everything that we do. You know, it really, really is very insidious. And there's something you know, communities really need to, and I don't just mean intentional communities. I mean, friend groups, people who are just in, in each other's lives, you know, could look at each other in the eye more often and say, I see you and you're enough. Like, thank you for all the ways that you show up. Thank you for all the ways that you show up that I don't even know that you show up. Mm -hmm. You know, and please keep showing up. <laughs> I want you to be here and I'm glad that you're here. And you know, like it's, it's a real, it's a real gift if we can start to give ourselves and each other that kind of love and attention and, um, seeing. So, yeah, yeah just wanted to add that in there. No, thank you. And thanks for this reminder, right? Because probably one of the things, like you said, like we, we, we don't value it because we can't really put a number on it, right? This human connection, this belonging, what's the value of belonging, right? 
what is it worth? <laughs> uh, do we factor it into a system that is really not based on that and just based on productivity? What's yeah. my productivity when I'm just resting or just holding a child for three hours, right? That's the biggest one. Exactly. That's, I mean, literally every day of my life, I'm like, I can, I have to remind myself, I'm a very hyperactive person and I have to remind myself, it, it's okay. It's okay for me to rest. Like, it's okay for me. I mean, not, this is not everyone's journey and community, obviously. <laughs> this is, this is my personal stuff too. But, uh, you know, I think there is, a piece of how we look at the idea of reciprocity and what it what like what is even reciprocity why is reciprocity important why should we think that things would even be equal like why is it important for things to be equal and what does equal even mean mm-hmm. i heard brene brown talking the other day about a, you know in a in a relationship we say oh the partnership you know it's 50-50 she's like that's not true it's never 50-50 like one person might be at 20 and hopefully the other is at 80 and if that's the case and you've got 100% and you can carry on with your life, but sometimes both people are at 20 and you can't function. And like, that's got to be okay sometimes. It has to be okay that it's not equal. And that sometimes when our sister, our brother, our child is in need, we have to be willing to to dig deep and and show up with with more than our fair share. And we also have to be willing to ask for help when we're at the 20% uh-huh. and we can't do it. And we have to be willing to say, I can't, you know, I just can't right now. And like that. And how do we move into a space of being with each other that allows for rest and care? You know, you still want to move through and get things done and be pr- like, still like you're still doing things, but do you have to always do it at that pace? Can you slow it back a little bit? Can you just do the, you know, can you can it just be in the fall <laughs> or just be in the summer that you do that and give yourself that, you know, coming back to that idea of seasonality, you know, can the summer be the out breath and the big, we're doing it, we're building. And then the winter, like, can we, can we turn in and allow ourselves to rest, listen, restore, you know? Thank you for that. So you left uh, and you're restarting a new community. I wanted to get to that. Oh, uh, it was so It sounds like so much work to build this house that and uh, creating a relation with this family. And it's very much like an extended family. Um, Tell us a little bit about yeah <laughs> this this change and this new place that you're building and and what is that? Sometimes you know it's like oh maybe that was for life. It sounds like such a big endeavor, right? That feel like why redo it again or why do it different? Maybe it's a very different story, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was leaving the Emerald Village. I can't even tell you how painful it was and is it still is you know i just talked to my dear sister who's gonna luckily be coming up to visit me in another week or so the other day about i i miss it i miss my home i miss my family down there you know and it's been a couple years and i still miss them all the time i miss walking you know walking over to layla's house in the morning and just having some tea and you know 
she made the best oatmeal, you know, I'd like walk over there. Oh, do you want some oats? <laughs> like just, yeah, it's, some, it's just silly. You know, the things you miss are silly, but just cuddles and snuggles and passing by, Hey, you want to come in for dinner or what, you know, like, do you need a hand with that? That like, Oh, I miss it so much. There's no way we would have left were it not for a, a bigger compelling vision that we were holding and that we're still holding my husband and I and and our other co-founders of the Emerald Village had long been dreaming into this idea of an academy of light and basically building a regenerative leadership academy where people can come. I mean, a, a school sounds like kind of a weird like training center, I don't know, retreat center, but a place where people could come and engage in mindfulness practices and learn person you know personal development mindfulness and really deepen and restore their connection to the earth and our sense of of deep reciprocity with the earth now that's who we have reciprocity with that's who we actually owe something to is nature and the divine in nature like how can we start to lessen our obligation to what we've taken, you know, like, can we take less? Can we be less extractive? Can we say no to the single use? I mean, beyond single use plastics, like, can we start making real lifestyle changes? And we'd already done a lot of that with Evo, but this was sort of the next level. How can we really move into a space where our primary goal in life is being in service to nature and restoring that deep connection and that healing connection that we have with, with the earth. <sighs> Building that vision and that dream, you know, we, we ideated about it. We talked about it. And then this piece of land uh, adjacent to our friend Don Tipping's seed farm, organic seed farm here called Siskiyou Seeds here in Williams this beautiful piece of land opened up that had been a Buddhist retreat center for 40 years and was founded by a Lama named um, Chagdu Tulku Rinpoche. And he had actually gone on to form countless other centers, including many in Brazil. So this beautiful retreat center had been founded, formed, meditated in, prayed upon for decades and and loved and lived into and had um, unfortunately fallen into a little bit of disrepair. The llama who was holding it had had aged and wasn't really able to keep on top of things. And uh, he was in his decline and could no longer hold it. And so through many miraculous midwifing experiences, <laughs> We took over stewardship of this beautiful land and it was not without challenge. But when we first saw it, I mean, the first actually, I should say when I first saw it, I was like, oh no, this is not, I'm not leaving my home to come up here for this hot mess. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no way. But I had this feeling in my gut, in my heart that actually, no, this was the land, even though my mind was like, no, red flag, red flag, please. Like, no, absolutely not. But I knew somehow in me deeply that this was the yes, this was where we were meant to be and to birth this vision. And so we had done a tour and I was like, ah, 
And then we came back to the land and did a second hike through. And we came from a different, we took a hike in a different area and came over the top peak. And I had this eagle view of the land in that moment. And I saw it. I just saw really clear. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Actually, this makes sense. This is where it's supposed to be. And I'll say for myself, I had a vision, I don't know, seven or eight years ago before I started, no, even longer than that, before I started taking, helping with the land circle and being active in all of that, that basically my purpose was to be in service to the land and that living at, at the Emerald Village, it wasn't until I had really dropped into stewardship of that little piece, that little postage stamp now, nine acres, it's not that much when you think about what we've got now. But when I really dropped into that one little spot and learned as much as I could from there and really harvested as much as I could and really gave myself to that practice of being with the land and learning from the land, that would be when the next place would show itself to me. And I would know, With there would be no question, I would just know. And that's exactly what happened. So it was a, it was in some ways a prayer answered be careful what you pray for um it was more of a vision that came to fruition but yeah i i felt it i felt it so deeply inside of me that this is where i have to go this is where we have to go to build this this new vision and now we've been here for 2 years and and we had the blessing of our of our community of the emerald village to come up here we're still family we're still deep friends i mean these are my sisters and my brothers forever. Like that's not, that has not gone away. Mm-hmm. Um, we put so many like t- copper and crystals and things like bridging our land, you know, bridging these places, indelibly connecting, you know, this land and that land and still nurture, nurture those relationships. And here we are two years in our co-founders have just moved onto the land. They just finished remodeling one of the houses there. And yeah, we're moving forward. We're doing a lot of trash removal. (laughs) We've taken out, we just took out our third 30-yard dumpster of of trash. We've rebuilt roads. We've repaired the infrastructure. We haven't quite opened it up to new members. We are at the very beginning of, of that process of starting to think about, you know, who might be a good fit to come and contribute to this vision yeah so you know one of my interests here is like was well, this is 10 years a bit more than 10 years after the first one right and we were at evo for 10 years evo for 10 years for so years. Yeah. right so what is different in this vision here i mean you talk about the land we've seen the permaculture but i was even in the kind of the hard bit of the community? Is this just basically you're going to take all those learnings and apply them there? Or is there something also you want to shift or something that you're letting go and something you want to build maybe like you could not do before, right? Beyond the fact that it's hundreds of acres and, you know, instead of nine acres, right? Beyond the land yeah. and the school, but kind of in the spirit of it. I guess you learned a lot in 10 years and it's like, well, I'm not going to do it that way this time. or we're going to reuse that a lot more again. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. Oh, it's, it's interesting because in some ways it's very much connected to what we were doing at the Emerald Village. And in some ways it feels very different. I don't think, I mean, yes, there's a difference between nine acres and 160 acres for sure. Uh, Nine acres in Southern California, you know, when you think about, even though we were surrounded by a lot of open land where we were, Southern California, it's Southern California, you know, it's for those of you who haven't been to Southern California, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's, it's amazing. Like there's a reason why millions of people live there and also millions of people live there. It's a lot. It's a lot of people. We all know about climate change. We don't have to like beat the dead horse on, oh, what about the Colorado River trying to ship water that does not exist to millions of people who are very thirsty? You know, there's some real disjointed, Mm. disconnected from reality of the way that that region has been structured. And it is absolutely I love it. I love Southern California. <laughs> I never thought I would learn to love it, but I, after living there for 15 years, I did love it. I still love it. This is a very different region. This is a region where people, people in Williams in particular, people in the Applegate Valley have been fighting to protect this valley for decades, for over 50 years. People have been working to prevent logging companies from doing you know, aggressive logging. They still log out here. But there, there's all these action committees who are here working to protect the land, to, to keep them from spraying, to keep the weeds down. They don't spray. It's all mow out where, where we are so that they're protecting the watershed. People understand that there's a watershed. <laughs> there's a watershed council. You know, people are working to protect the air, the forest, the water, the nature. This is just the, this is the culture here. And even though there are, you know, you've got, you know, the, the far right kind of Trump flag flying folks and you've got the far out hippies with like the dreadlocks and the, you know, dogs on hemp uh, (laughs) leashes. If they have leashes, you know, you've got, you've got both and, but people seem to somehow make it work because there's a real commitment to the, the stewardship of this beautiful place. So it's not operating in a vacuum in a similar way that, um, places in Southern California might be. That would be one one difference, I think, in terms of our of our mission and why that felt really important. The mission and vision, the mission for the Emerald Village was really one that was based in first and foremost creating a home for the families, which was what we did. We created a really, really beautiful home for the people that lived there, a place to raise children that was safe and loving and really supportive and it was very very special this mission for this project feels a lot more about our own growth and finding ways to share and document that what's possible when we reconnect with the land when we learn about how to grow food, when we learn about how to tend a forest in a good way, when we learn about creek restoration and restoring waterways and bringing back the beavers, this kind of work in combination with ancestral skills, you know, things that like growing animals, 
raising animals for meat <laughs> and how to process them and, and how to care for them in a good way and how to honor their sacrifice and their life, how to honor the plant medicines and the the food that we eat as medicine. You know, all of those things feel like a very an offering to the world that we want to actualize here and share with a broader, share with the world, share with the country, share with anyone who wants to hear it and and come and learn with us. So we're at the beginning of, you know, we've got a permaculture water course coming up this weekend with, uh, with Don Tipping. That's going to be partially on our land and partially on his. Uh, we just had a homestead course a few weeks ago, you know, where we're starting to learn things and document them and share them and learn things and document them and share them and then slowly start to open the doors and allow people to come and learn in person on the land. And that that is different. Like as a home for families, you don't really, you can't really open your doors to anybody that wants to show up and come and learn. I mean, not that we would necessarily do that here either, but mm -hmm. it's it's a lot more of a public mission. So that's a big difference. Mm. Yeah. So that's kind of transitioning me to we're getting to the end of this time together, but to kind of the context of this community or those communities in the global context in what's happening. We talked a little bit about it through the discussion together and at the beginning, political environments, social. So are you, what's your vision with that? Do you think this community are just going to be all those little islands growing up left and right? And then the system just basically look at it as hippies or this is crazy or this is utopian, right? I'm sure you heard a lot of stuff like that. So I won't go through the list. Or do you see communities more, a little bit, I guess, more what you're creating today, which are more like, schools, places of learning, places of development, and then they spread back maybe even people into the other world that are going to transform that world? Or is this going to grow and then absorb all of it at some point? What's the, what's the idea? Without thinking of any limitation, let's say, but what would be the, why are you feeling is that so important in today's world in the context we're in? Well, I I certainly don't think that all communities should have an educational operative. You know, I don't I don't think that's a that's not yeah, it's not necessary required. I think if people come together in whatever way they can to try and build interconnectedness, that is the main thing. And whether or not you actually live in an intentional community or you find a way to make your relationship relationships with the people that you already live next to more intentional or the people at your kids school or the people at your church you know how can how can we really build deeper vulnerability interconnection seeing holding that would be the the first big step would be people mm -hmm. just learning to depend on each other more and moving out of the mindset that says um you know, I'm me, this is mine, this is my house, this is my land, that's my fence, so you know where my land begins and where you should not put your foot because this is my land. Like, can we start to break that idea down? Can we start to break down the idea of of ownership and, and consumption and how we 
<laughs> feels so entitled. Each of us, myself included, everyone feels really entitled to all the things that we have and experience. We feel like we've all earned it. And like newsflash, we haven't. We really haven't. Like we are in debt to nature. And you can look around and see the proof of that. You can breathe it in if you're in the the Northeast right now, like what that actually looks like. So making those those personal changes at home and in your own house and in your own closest relationships, then starting to spread it out. I am here for the community's movement. I am such a, a fan and such a supporter of this way of life for anyone who is brave enough to venture into it. I think it is incredibly worthwhile. I think it has so much to teach. I don't think everyone's ready for it, but I think if people were just ready to to make some some start small and make some small shifts and maybe educate yourself a little bit and be willing to have your worldview turned upside down on occasion and realize that maybe you don't know everything and all the things you thought were real or not, maybe, I don't know, like start somewhere. You know, I think that's, that's kind of the first step. And in terms of global impact and the world that we live in, I don't know. I I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic. You know, I have a daughter. I want to leave a beautiful planet for her to live on. I want to create a beautiful reality that she feels inspired by and in service to. And I want that for her children. And I want that for their children as well. I want to think seven generations ahead and beyond. And I have deep prayers in my heart and my soul and my body for the future ones and that we do right by them. So I believe that community is an an answer to that. I don't think it's the only way, but I think if more people could find ways to to grow food and and be connected to the earth and if you need to be in the city, how do you do that? How do you make your how do you make your condo complex uh more sustainable? Do you put in a rooftop garden? How do you find ways to do the deep interpersonal work? Because I'll tell you what, when things, when and if, I'll say if, but maybe when, things do collapse, when there's another COVID, when there's a big economic collapse, when there's a major catastrophe, all of the property won't matter. Nobody's going to care about that. They're going to care about the relationships Mm -hmm. and our capacity to work through things together and our capacity to make decisions together. And all that's going to happen on a really local level. You know, it's going to happen in our homes first. So there's so many prayers and all that. I mean, I hope everybody listening can hear the, the, the depth of my prayer that, that we are all working in that direction. I definitely felt it. Yeah. A relationship. That's all what's left at the end. That's each other, right? And uh, that's what we're going to need more and more. And we're going to be reminded, right? Like you say, dropping the fence, you know, with the fire right now in Canada, you know, the smoke is here. We're around 700 miles away and we cannot breathe outside yesterday. It was like it was burning next door, literally one mile away. And, you know, nature is reminding us that there is no water. 
the water uh, circulate, the air circulates. So this idea that we can somehow shield ourselves from what's happening out there is an illusion. So thank you for inviting this movement, for participating in it, for building it with sweat and tears, for sharing your knowledge. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation and there's so much more to explore. So I want to let people know that are listening or watching to uh, really check uh, Rebecca podcast, the Inside Community podcast. There's a lot of beautiful discussion there. Uh, maybe to come visit. If the door is open sometime, just push the door and say hi. And yeah, check this great work. We'll be putting some links under uh, this video and this audio recording for you to go much deeper into the subject. And Rebecca, I'm going to leave you the last word for the end. Whatever you want to share, maybe you have an advice uh, <laughs> for someone that is feeling really cold to do something in community or build a community or like the one, don't do that. Uh, but I wanted to thank you before you close uh, this talk together. Thank you so much for all you shared today and, and for your your kindness and your humor and your fiery spirit uh, <laughs> to be to be on the call with me today. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Angel, for having me. It's it's really been a pleasure to talk about all this stuff. Um, yeah, I mean this is this is a deep passion of mine. And I think for anyone who is listening who feels in their in their heart and their soul that longing for that for that ancient way that futuristic way of of being in connection that there's so many resources out there there's so many places that you can go to get information about how to do this thing and i recommend that you certainly get yourself educated about about all of the details of it but really it just starts with you right now it starts with making making those choices to take less and give more and you know i don't mean it at a sense of sacrifice you know because i think a lot of times particularly for women there's that kind of like uh, continual like giving 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 I more mean in how we relate to the natural world around us and to how we relate to the things around us. And, you know, asking yourself when you see someone who's doing something that, that you don't like or that you don't appreciate, you know, reaching out to them and saying, hey, like, do you need help? <laughs> Instead of judging them or thinking that they're, they're doing it wrong. You know, leading with that. That's my message for myself today, too. So hopefully we can all share in that. We had the prior. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you, Angel. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, everybody. Much listening. blessing to everyone <laughs> listening. And yeah, well, we'll have more conversation communities. It's something we want to bring to you more. And um, thank you again for listening. And have a blessed rest of the day. Thank you for listening to the Sanctuary Podcast. We deeply value your support please consider sharing this podcast with others and joining our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the sanctuary and why. Once again, it is patreon.com slash the sanctuary and why. At the sanctuary, we believe that spirituality is a personal journey that takes many forms. 
and we honor and respect all paths to awakening and the rise of consciousness. Our mission is to provide a platform for open and honest conversations about spirituality and to inspire and empower our listeners to live their most authentic lives in good relation to each other's, the living and invisible worlds. I look forward to connecting with you again here or at our events, retreats, and online gatherings. You can find all our offerings at thesanctuaryheal.com. Once again, it is thesanctuaryheal.com.